You're listening to the Manchester Vineyard Podcast. We'd love for you to join us. To discover more about who we are, where we meet, and how you can connect with us, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description. Very, very happy Easter to you. For those of you that are visiting Manchester this weekend, I think we've had three days in a row of sun, so uh, that's a heat wave by my calculations. So welcome to the city. You're going to want to move here. Um, just, uh, I just had a quick question for you. It's probably rhetorical rather than one that you have to answer. But have you ever um, like referred to the, the supermarket as either the big one or the little one? It just feels to me so much easier because there's the, I know there's like extras and locals and minis and all of that, but I often just find it's like big one or little one. And um, we've got a big one near us, but I really, I love the little ones, um, but they're so much more expensive. I guess you've found that. But you know when you just need a couple of things, it's like you want the little one, not the big one. And um, it's like in, out, grab your stuff. Anyway, I'm in the little one. And um, I've got my stuff, which for me is like, I always buy the same stuff. I don't know, I'm just a creature of habit, but I like, you know, it's always, even if I don't need them, I'm like, maybe we are going to need bananas and we always need bread for some reason. And uh, then eggs, and it's not always the ones from the chickens, it's the little chocolatey ones, but it's okay, it's Easter, so don't judge me. But anyway, um, I'm, in the, I'm in the little one, and for me, the whole point of the little one, I don't know if this is different for you, but for me, it's like, it's the speed it's not the price, it's the speed. It's like, I want to be in and out. And a uh, few things. So anyway, I get to the, I get to the till. And uh, you know they have the, the quick scan do-it-yourself ones. I'm never that good at them anyway. I always make a bit of a hash of it. And it's like, have you weighed your bag? Or I don't even know how it works. But anyway, they're all broken. And there's one person serving at one checkout. And um, that's that's not a problem because it's you've only got a few things. It's going to be quite quick. But anyway, there's this dear slightly more senior person in front of me. I'd actually, let's just be honest, they were really old. And um, they, they've they got, uh, this this lady, she's got two, you know, in the, in the quick one, you don't even need a basket because you've just got a couple of things, but she's not only got a basket, she's got the basket on wheels. Do you know, like the ones I mean? And um, anyway, she's got two of them and they're like fully, fully loaded to the point of overflowing. And she also is maybe, I'm trying not to be rude here, um, she's not in a life stage where she's needing to move as quickly as I was. So I'm, I'm, I'm in a rush and she's not. And um, I, I don't know, like, I, I need you to know if you're just visiting, I love Jesus and I'm trying to live well and be a kind, nice person. Um, but, and I hope that I am nice and I'm generous and, and those kind of things. But I'm also a work in progress. I'm this side of heaven. And so I am definitely, definitely, I'm being honest here, I was just tutting in my head. You know, you're like... Anyway, without fully realizing it, I think some of that had slightly flowed to the outside of me and things were becoming slightly obvious. So anyway, this, this dear lady, she takes a breather as she's loading things one by one to, and handing them to the lady. And I'm like sighing. I'm like, you know, have you ever seen that like gif where the person's just walking and suddenly they collapse? I'm just like, oh, I'm like, oh come on, like, give, me, give me a break here. Anyway... She turns around and she looks at me almost like with the slight enjoyment of this is taking a while. Although for her, she's just enjoying the fact that it's, you know, just daily life. And I, um, I smile back at her because what else do you do? But my smile on the inside, I have to be, again, honest. I'm like, for goodness sake, <laughs> come on, hurry up. I, I could have gone into the big shop and out in this time. Anyway, um, she keeps loading things one by one. And she, again, she looks at me and, and, and she smiles. And uh, 
then we're not very far away, but she kind of turns around to me and she looks at me and she smiles and she says, um, she kind of whispers to me, you look like my son. And I'm like, I've got, now this is like big red flashy alarm bell things going off. I'm like, this has gone from like, I'm just humoring you to, this is weird, weird, you've kind of crossed quite a significant line. But equally, what do you do? You don't then go, I'm just going to put my stuff down and go to the big shop. I'm fully committed here. I'm, I'm in. So I don't want to start a debate. I don't want to de delay things. So I just kind of go with it. And uh, I, what do you say? What would you say to that? I just say, oh, right. <laughs> you know, like the, the weird smile. Anyway, she's definitely crossed the line. And then what she says with that is, because we're now pretty close, and she's looking at me. She's like, do you mind if I call you my son? I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Now... <laughs> You have crossed the line of the lines. Uh, but I, I, again, just, I don't know what you would say, but in the moment, you just kind of go, okay, you know, because it's like you've got to roll with it. Anyway, she finishes chatting with this lady, and she's passing the things slowly one by one, and it seems to take eventually. The lady says to me, um, she turns to the checkout lady, and she says, that's my son, and she does this little waving. I'm like, now we are, like, we're just in, we're in weird zone. I can see your faces, like, we've... We've crossed the line. I die with awkwardness. It's just weird. I'm like, she's going to go. We're going to carry on. Anyway, she leaves, and I get to pay for my free things, and the lady says it's £82.27. And uh, I'm like, oh, I've just got free items. And uh, the lady says, oh, but your mum said you'd pay. <laughs> Welcome to Manchester, friends. I have just been fleeced by an old lady. And um, I, I don't know how much detail to go into with you, with you now, but I kind of leg it after, and the security guard legs it after me because I haven't paid as well now. So we've got quite a serious situation. Uh, I've not paid for my shopping nor my mum, supposed mum shopping. And uh, I kind of, I need, I need to tell you this, and this is probably the most awkward part of the whole story. I've made the whole thing up. And uh, I know some of you are like, what have you just done to me? I've just been robbed. There is no truth whatsoever in that story, other than I do go to the little shops and sometimes I buy bread and sometimes I buy eggs and definitely buy bananas. Um, and I'm sorry. I know, I know some of you feel slightly robbed by me doing that. How are we now going to move on? But listen, what I want to say is this. There's, there's not truth in the story, but there is significant truth in the illustration. Because in our lives, so often we carry stuff that is slightly overladen in our basket of life, and it's costly. And we, we arrive at the checkout, and, and I think the stuff that is often in our baskets is what the Bible calls sin. And it's really just self-centered living. It says this in Romans 6. I'm not going to read them from the Bible because I'm going to jump around a little bit, but you, I honestly follow it if you can. But it says this, Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. You see, the, the, the shopping bill is huge, and I'm not just on about because of the cost of living crisis, but we can't pay for our stuff. We can't pay for our sin on our own. 1 John 1.8 says this, if we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in truth. See, the, the basket is full, and the basket is actually really expensive. Now, you, you might be thinking, hang on, I've, I've, I've just come to church for the first time. And firstly, the story you told me was completely made up and you kind of treat me. But, but secondly, like I, I've come and the, the, the preacher man, if you want to call me that, please never actually call me that. But I don't know what you'd call me if you've come for the first time. But the guy at the front is chucking the sin word around like I've never heard in my life. 
you've just hit doom and gloom and you're like, happy Easter, Joker. You know, I, I kind of want you to know the reality. And th that is this, thankfully, that the, one of the biggest commas in the Bible, it says, for the wages of sin is death, comma, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. One John 1, 8, if we claim to have no sin, we're fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sin to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. And today we're celebrating Jesus, not just his life and not just his death, but his resurrection. The cross of Jesus changes everything. Our understanding of the events of Easter are actually really, really important. How wonderful it is to be together on today of all days. And today before we mark the moment and celebrate, not just is Jesus our king, but he's our living king who conquered the grave and as a result frees us from the devastating effects of sin and the separation from God. He enables us to have a relationship with the living God, not just something that waits us and waits for us in, in a heavenly realm, but right here, right now, the son is able to pay the price at the checkout. Now, it doesn't matter how heavily laden your basket is and what is in your basket, Jesus is willing to pay the price. I hope I would always be somebody who speaks from the heart. I hope we'd always be a place that is open and accessible for those exploring Jesus. I hope that all that we would share and talk about would be laden with life application rather than appealing to head knowledge. But if ever there was a day for the truth to land on us, surely this is it. If you have never considered Jesus and the reality of his life, his death, and his resurrection, and the profound implications that it will make for you and to you, if I do nothing else in life, can I encourage you afresh to consider it? Let's not fail to seize or realize the moment and the sheer magnitude of the resurrection of Jesus. God raised Jesus from the dead. And today we stand together and we celebrate that. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, He was buried and he was raised from the dead. And on the third day, just as the scriptures said. You see, everybody knew that he was dead. From the governor to the executing soldiers to the women that buried him to the adversaries who feared some kind of conspiracy of a resurrection rumor. The body wasn't in the tomb, otherwise the enemies would have put a stop to Christianity with Jesus' remains. The disciples were ablaze with this boldness, risking their lives, preaching that Jesus was alive. Peter preached to the crowds, it says in Acts 2. says this, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Stephen and the apostle James, they lost their lives. It says this in Acts 7, says Stephen, he fell to his knees shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And with that, he died. As he was stoned to death, he was pleading in that moment for the people who were killing him. The power of what Jesus has done and the model that is left us is honestly 
breathtaking. It was such that Stephen is pleading in the moment of being killed himself for the forgiveness of those that are killing him. The power of the resurrection and the forgiveness found in and through Jesus changes everything. For 40 days, Jesus was appearing to individuals and groups, some as large as 500. It says this in Acts 1. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 15, after that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time. Most Most of them are still alive, but some have died. And he was seen by James and later by all of the apostles. Most of them weren't gullible people. They were hard to convince. And as the possibility dawned on the skeptical disciples that the resurrection might be true, one of the first thoughts they had was maybe Jesus is a ghost. They have no other understanding or explanation for what was going on. And so to doubting Thomas, Jesus says in John 20, put your finger here, look at my hands, put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer, but believe. Before the stunned disciples, on the occasion he eats fish, trying to show them that he's not a ghost. Luke 24, look at my hands, look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see I do. As he spoke, he showed them his hands and his feet. Still they stood there in disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. I want to say this of myself today. Today I don't stand in disbelief partly because I've seen how Jesus has changed my life and countless others, but I do stand in awe and wonder. And where I'm not as bold or as courageous as I could be, I say, Lord, help me in my unbelief. Paul in Philippians 3 says this, we're citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we eagerly await for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into his glorious body like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. For where our physical bodies fail, I cry out for you and with you that you would be ever changed and changing because divine, tremendous divine power preceded, accompanied, and followed the resurrection of Jesus. Leading up to his resurrection, Jesus was utterly in charge of his own living and dying. In John 10, it says this, the father loves me because I sacrifice my life so that I may take it back up again. Nobody, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily for I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also take it up again for this is what my father has commanded see Jesus scoffed at threats that he could be brought to death before his hour and much less that he could be held in a tomb beyond his will he predicted the details of his death and his resurrection and he's following an unstoppable plan Jesus said to them in Matthew 17, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but on the third day he will raise from the dead. In the very act of the resurrection, divine power 
was ruling. In Ephesians 1.19, Paul says this, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. See, Peter said in Acts 2, as I, remember, as I mentioned earlier, he said this, but God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death couldn't keep him in its grip. Coming through death with sovereign power, Jesus entered into an imperishable, never-ending life. Romans 6 says, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death could no, lo sorry, death no longer has any power over him. When he died, he died once to break the power of sin. But now he lives, he lives for the glory of God. So you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, the resurrection of Jesus assures all his future work on behalf of his people. Phenomenal. It's breathtaking when we get our heads around it. His authority and rule over everything in the universe. That's how Matthew 28 describes it. His priestly intercession on our behalf is how Romans 8 describes it. His advocacy for us right now with God the Father is how one John puts it, and his protecting, comforting presence with us to the end of the age is how Matthew 28 describes it. You see, the resurrection of Jesus secures all the blessings he obtained for us in his death, and all the promises of God purchased through the blood of Jesus becomes, become ours because of the resurrection. Forgiveness would be one example 1 Corinthians 15, and if Christ has been raised, sorry, not raised, then your faith is useless and you're still guilty of your sins. But he has been raised. And today that's what we celebrate. And so forgiveness is real and forgiveness is permanent. Hebrews 7, therefore he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. In the end, the risen Jesus will raise us up with him. We even just sang that. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same Spirit living within you. I've, I kind of... We can just roll through these things, but sometimes you almost just got to pause and say, honestly, are you kind of, are you grasping the magnitude of this, the power of the resurrection, the transformative love of God? If, if I can do anything, really, it's only to drop to my knees and weep in the understanding and the realization. Can I, can I ask you, do you know Jesus? Not as like a secondary token, nominal, religious, you know, like a get out of jail, pay your dues, follow this formulaic plan that sometimes we can slip into the routine of. But do you know the living God? God the Father who sent the Son and deposits in us the Holy Spirit until he comes again to take us to be with him or cause us home, whichever 
comes first. Because I, I personally don't think we can be neutral about him. Honestly, eternity hangs on it. I, I don't want you to see just with the, the eyes of your head, but actually the eyes of your heart. And who can enjoy this eternal gift of life? Jesus said in John 11, I'm the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. And everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Like every good historical fact, the resurrection of Jesus can be doubted. I, I want to encourage you, if that's the place you find yourself this morning, doubt your doubts. Don't, don't doubt Jesus. Doubt your doubts. Because when God takes in hand the reliability of the witnesses and the courage of their preaching and the futility of the opposition and the effects of the gospel and the coherence of the message and the all-embracing sufficiency of the Christian worldview and the spiritual glory of Jesus. When God takes all of that in hand and so, so, so much more, he's able to open our minds to see him, not just from the perspective of our head, but from the eyes of our hearts. And when he shines into our minds, it's what happens in 2 Corinthians 4. It refers to as this, the glorious light of the good news starts to shine upon us. And when we begin to see that alongside the terrible splendor of his suffering, we start to realize and see and understand the greatness of the resurrection. Happy Easter because he is risen from the dead. And we stand in the truth of Romans 8 verse 11 that the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by this same spirit living within you. Jesus didn't die on the cross to have a chat with you or to share an opinion with you. He died on the cross, yes, to deliver you, but not just that, not just to call you out of something, but to call you into something. And I honestly want to say, please don't, just let some of what I'm saying be words, because honestly, I think it calls for a response. He was born a Jew. The legitimacy of his birth was doubted. He had worked so difficult that even his family thought he was out of his mind. He was betrayed by even his closest friends and falsely accused. He was tried by a prejudiced jury, convicted by a powerful judge and tortured and then living out what it meant to be alone and abandoned by the world, left to die in no doubt looking to everyone that life was over. And the identification of God with human suffering, I think, is quite profound. The world often asks, I hear people say, well, where is your God? Well, he was dying on the cross, identifying with human pain, and on that cross, he cries out, I thirst. John 19, 28, Jesus knew that his mission was now finished. And to fulfill the scripture, he said, I'm thirsty. But he didn't stay on the cross. He conquered it. It's really quite remarkable. Virtually every miracle in the Gospels or more broadly, and therefore so many of the songs that we sing, they have these words you'll have noticed about the wind and the waves and the water. 
Jesus, the one that has control over nature, he said, be still to the water, and the water was still. And yet, here he is on the cross saying, I thirst. He's so fully committed to humanness and humanity that he's, he's, he's crying out to those that hate him, that have mocked him and ridiculed him and humiliated him. He cries out, I thirst, because he's identifying with us, fully God and yet fully man. He understands us and he identifies with us. He was beaten, he was flogged, he was tortured and he was crucified. And he faced shame. And he faced rejection. And I think so often we look at the cross from our perspective and we see Jesus. But I just very briefly want to look at the cross from his perspective. Because he was abandoned and surrounded by people who were mocking him. And he lets out this human cry, I'm thirsty. John 19, verse 20 29, we see and read this. It says, a jar of sour wine were sitting there so they soaked a sponge in it they put a hiss on a hyssop branch and they held it up to his lips jesus refuses the wine that often acts as a numbing agent so that he would somehow suffer less of the cross matthew 27 the soldiers gave him the wine mixed with bitter gall but when he tasted it he refused to drink it gall is generally understood to be a narcotic that was used to deaden pain Jesus would suffer fully conscious and with a clear mind. He refused the gall. The second time they offered him wine vinegar and he drinks it, it's the soldiers that give him the wine. I think it's important to note how he's given it. Luke 23 says this, the soldiers mocked him too by offering him a drink of sour wine. You know, if you pop to the supermarket, you go to the big one or the little one, you can, you can buy every kind of sponge on the planet. They just all sell them. I think you can even, I've not actually studied it, but I could dare say you can buy scented sponges and all different shapes and sizes, probably even gift-wrapped. But in Roman culture, only the elites had sponges. They basically had two uses for sponges. And I'm sorry to be graphic, but I feel like we need to go there because a sponge at the time, was used as a way of cleaning yourself after going to the toilet. The poor had a different type of toilet paper because they couldn't afford a sponge. They often had pottery that had been taken from their enemies and they'd been crushed and smoothed off. And the final statement to their enemies was that I'm going to clean myself with part of something that was yours after going to the toilet. It's almost like the ultimate insult. But for those with money, those that had wealth, those that were able to, they had a sponge and they put it on a stick and they dipped it in wine vinegar and they used it to clean themselves. And so that's quite graphic, but the other use for a sponge is that a soldier would stick it under their helmet on their head and they, when they worked hard in battle and they were sweating, they'd use it to wipe their bodies and wipe the sweat off themselves. And so in that context, here you see Jesus, and these soldiers see Jesus, and he says, I thirst. And they go, well, here you go, almost in mockery. They take 
the wine vinegar and they try and put it in the mouth of the Son of God. The final taste before he dies is the insult of the bodies of his enemies. I thirst, he said, abandoned by his friends and surrounded by enemies who are taunting him and mocking him. Honestly, is there anything that Jesus can't understand or identify with? Hebrews 4 says this, the high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testing we do, yet he did not sin. God identifies with human suffering. 1 Corinthians 1, the message of the cross is foolishness to those that are headed for destruction. But we who are being saved know that it is the very power of God. He knows what it's like. He's not just identifying with us. He's providing for us. You might mentally know God cares, but you may not have encountered it or fully understood it. Some of you know the theory of the cross, but not the heart of the cross. And Jesus says, I thirst. I understand what you've been through. I understand what you're going through. See, God doesn't revive people that have it all together. He revives people that are hungry and thirsty and weak and naked and blind and less than spotless. The Holy Spirit is the comforter. And what he does is he takes the heart and the experience of Jesus and he lets you feel it. The comforter comes and he brings compassion and he ministers to the hurt and the broken places in our lives. And some of you need to know the identification that God has with us. It can be so easily done and lived out that we feel this isolation from God. We feel an anger from God. He doesn't care. He doesn't know. He's not with me. God identifies with us, but he doesn't leave us there. He doesn't stay on the cross. He overcomes it. The incarnation means that he became like us. The resurrection means that we become like him. See, the Spirit of God will want to do many things among us today, I think, if we allow him. But can I suggest two clear and obvious ones? Firstly, can we be stirred for a completely abandoned, unrestricted, unhindered pursuit of him? For some of you, that will be for the first time, to come before the cross of Jesus and surrender your life allowing the power of the resurrection to live in you and for him to call you into the fullness of life and all that he offers you. The second thing is this. Some of you will have felt like almost like an us versus him mentality. Whereas he stepped in and became flesh and blood alongside us. The Bible says that he's able to sympathize with our weakness. But it's the risen son of God in heaven at the right hand with all the authority in the universe who feels what we feel. When we come to him in sorrow and, and pain and when we feel cornered by our sinful pleasure, how often do we feel unwelcomed or unable to enter into the presence of God with the sheer filth of our sin, with the burden of our problems? We feel God's purity and perfection, that his presence, therefore, in that seems somehow unattainable or inaccessible. But when we come to the realization and the full understanding of the cross, he feels with us, not against us. 
He knows our cry and he's tasted our struggle. I want to encourage you to come again before the cross. It was once said, if we don't fall face down before the cross, it's because we've never really seen it or understood it. Some of you will have never done that before. You'll have stood at the checkout and counted up or added up all the things in your basket and the heavy price. You will have picked up things that you can't afford to pay for. The wounds and the bruising of life. The things you've done, the things you've said, the ways you've lived. For Mark 2.17 says this. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I've come to call not those who think that they're righteous, but those that know that they are sinners. Jesus associated with those who were ready and willing to hear what he says and do something about it. And that's really how I stand before you this morning. I'm just a beggar who's found bread, telling somebody else where they can get it. Will you come and surrender your life before the cross of Jesus? He died that you might live. Some of you will want to do that now. Why don't, why don't we stand together? If you're not familiar with being here, we're just going to take a moment just to rest in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You might want to close your eyes. Sometimes it helps just to remove the distractions of, of, of us in the room. But for some of you, I think for the first time, you will want to surrender your life to Jesus. We've got a little pack of resources we'd love to give you. But I, I just want to lead you in a prayer that you might want to pray in your own heart. Father, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the wrong that I've done in my life. All of us might just want to take a moment and a moment of acknowledgement and a moment of laying some of those things down, the particular things that now come into your conscience. And Lord, we want to say, please forgive me. I turn from things that I know were wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross, that I could be forgiven, that I could be free. Thank you for your forgiveness and the offer of your spirit to live within me and I receive that gift please come now and through the power of your Holy Spirit be with me now and forevermore <coughs> I'll just stay in this moment but some of you will have prayed that for the first time I encourage you to tell somebody that you've done that there's a, there's a couple of little booklets we'd love to give you free of charge as you leave that will explain that slightly more as well Lord we welcome you Paul shared a number of things this morning that I think warrant a response in us and I think for some of you there, there, is, there was like a heart response it resonated with you and firstly I'd just like to invite you to come to the, to the front and I just want to also say that Jesus he, he chose the cross 
He chose the nails for us. He paid the ultimate price so that we would be free. And so if there's any part of you, body, mind, soul, spirit, any part of you that longs for a greater measure of freedom, then please respond. If ever there's a day, this is the perfect one. On Easter Sunday, the day that we celebrate our resurrected, our risen King and Saviour. Thanks for listening. To find out more, head to manchestervineyard.org or follow the link in the podcast description.